You're listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May you be challenged and encouraged by this message. Having the affections of your heart stirred towards greater love and understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami. I ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, as you're turning in your Bibles to Acts chapter 14, for those of you who would like to have a Bible and do not own one, we're glad to give you one there for you at the Welcome Center. Feel free to go by there and get one. We're happy for you to listen along this morning. While you're turning there, let me give you an orientation For those of you who are here to explore Christianity, or those of you who are here to explore Grace Church as a Christian, God has given us many good gifts, not the least of which is His Word, which we delight in because it is today how God reveals Himself to us. And we want to know the God who created us and all things that we see and don't even see, but nevertheless exist. Our normal practice is to go through books of the Bible, in which we will return to next week, the book of Matthew, as a church and continue to do that. However, this morning I have some selected scriptures I want to show all of us for the purpose of either orientating some of you or reminding others of you of why we exist as a church, why we are committed to doing what we're doing and not doing other things that other people tell us we should be doing. If you'll follow along with me in Acts chapter 14, I want to read to you verses 1 to 19. I'm really interested to get to verse 20 through 23, but you've got to understand verses 1 to 19 to appreciate verse 20 to 23. So if you'll follow along as I read to you, Acts chapter 14, verse 1. Luke writes, Now at Iconium... They entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. When the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. 
And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news so that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. And he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, the same Iconium, verse 1, having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Stop there. Let's take in the scene for a moment. Paul and Barnabas are like some of you today. At one point in the past, before this moment, Paul and Barnabas were not followers of Christ. They were non-Christians. In fact, Paul has a pretty sordid past actually trying to punish Christians in the same way that he is being punished and persecuted here. He's got that on his hands. He has that on his rap sheet, his before Christ time period. But now, at this point, Paul and Barnabas are Christians, and they're committed. They're all in. What's interesting here is that they are being run out of one town because they're plotting to kill them, verse 5, while another town misunderstands them and wants to worship them. You seem like you can never get it right. Trying so hard to just preach the gospel, as it says there in verse 7. And again, verse 13, preach the good news, bring you the good news. The second town, as we read about in verse 19, like in kind of a bipolar fashion, is eventually influenced by people from another town to change their mind about them and not just diminish their appreciation for them and desire to worship them, to actually swing so hard, they actually now pick up rocks to crush their bodies and kill them. That's the scene. That's the moment. They stone them, but they're not dead. Unknown to the crowd, they're actually knocked unconscious, but they believe them to be dead. That's how badly they have crushed them. What does Paul do after regaining his consciousness? That takes us now to our verses, verse 20 and following. But when the disciples gathered about him, friend of Paul, he rose up, And entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derby. Same Derby in verse 6, verse 21. Why? When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, 
they returned where? To Lystra. Same Lystra, verse six. And to Iconium. The same Iconium of verse one that the Jews came from in verse 19, responsible for stirring up the crowd to kill them. Yeah, they go back to Iconium. Oh, and also to Antioch, the Jews that came from there as well in verse 19. Why? Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Paul goes back. Let that sink in. Just, just hold that. Town after town listed. Town after town either initially rejects or eventually rejects. And Paul's like, all right, we'll do round two. What is this? Why? He doesn't say, I'm out. This is too hard. Christianity is more costly than I realized it was going to cost me. He doesn't say, this doesn't look like it's working. It's ineffective. The methodology isn't producing the results I was expecting. We need to change our plan, maybe even change our message, certainly change our audience. Wouldn't mind a hot shower and a good warm meal right now. He goes back into town, seeks to tell the people about Christ, and God, his sovereign, mysterious grace, blesses the work, and people get saved. There's no bitterness here from Paul. He's like, hey, why could we have not done this the first time, God? He trusts himself to the Lord. Ears of the deaf are opened, the eyes of the blind are opened, the spirituality dead are raised and made alive in Christ through faith in him. And I want you to see it again, verse 21, 22, and 23. Verse 21, why did he do this? Many disciples are made. Verse 22, many disciples are matured. Verse 23, many churches are formed. Why do I say all of this? Why does this matter for you and me sitting here in Miami in 2022 on the cusp now of a brand new year? The, the reality, the opening, the dawn of a new year. Why does this matter what happened 2,000 years ago? Here's why. Because globally, Russia has 100,000 military troops on the border of Ukraine, staging what looks like to many as an inevitable result of invasion of Ukraine. China continues to posture itself aggressively toward Taiwan and threatens to invade Taiwan and claim it back by military might. Meanwhile, Iran continues to disregard sanctions against it to develop nuclear weapons with the pledge and the promise it will nuke Israel, desiring to wipe it off from the map. If just one of these events takes place in 2022, it will have global repercussions around the world like you've never imagined. That's not just globally, it's talked nationally. The U.S. inflation rate has risen to 6.8% over the last year, its highest point since 1982. The political divide and hostility in the United States continues to grow with more intensity, dividing homes, dividing businesses, dividing even cities and states in our country. The United States of America does not feel too united right now. 
the range of views about COVID and how to respond to COVID continued to vary wildly and widely, and people's treating of each other based on how their views do not line up with each other's is toxic and destroying relationships. As we pronounce anathemas and denounce each other because you do not line up with where I am on COVID. That's globally, that's nationally. And then there's on a personal level for many of us. Prior to COVID, it was only about one in 10 adults who reported symptoms of anxiety or depression. Now, four in 10 of us as adults in the United States have reported symptoms of anxiety or depression. 36% of us as Americans are having trouble sleeping now. 32% of us are having difficulty even just eating, putting food in our mouth. 12% of us have an increased alcohol consumption we never had before. The question is, what should we be doing as a church, Grace Church, about this? Because if we can be honest, this wasn't what it was like in 2019 when we planted this church. It's certainly what it was like back in 1945 when they were planting Miami Shores Baptist Church. So, hey, different times, different responses. We need to kind of change up the play. The problem is, Christians commonly think this way. I'm here to contend with you with the scriptures. Nothing has changed for us. Nothing has changed for us. Details of society throughout history change, but to our purpose and our pursuit, nothing has changed. Christians in general, pastors in particular, are being told to not appear tone deaf to the problems of the world around them and the communities by which they live in, and therefore they should spend their efforts commendably, sweetly, kindly, lovingly. They should spend their efforts improving job skills, digging wells, setting up medical centers, establishing great schools, working for better crop yields, working to reduce, if not remove, illiteracy, and the like. All of these are incredibly loving expressions of Christian ethic done by individual Christians, but redesigning what is the purpose of the church of Jesus Christ as represented by local bodies of churches. As Kevin DeYoung writes, the church's mission is more specific than common people doing uncommon deeds. The people of God have always been a peculiar people at best to a scandalous, dead Jewish rabbi worshiping weirdo people at worst. In the eyes of the world, from the dietary laws and the expectation of circumcision of infant males in the Old Testament era to a shared love of possessions and care for each other who they're not even related to, to their belief in the resurrected person from 2,000 years ago who is the Son of God, people often think, and have been thinking for a millennia and a millennia, you people are weird. We've often been tempted to do things and say things to help us be thought of normal, reasonable, friendly, and respectable. All that's done is weakened our witness as a church. Wanting to be thought of well in the eyes of men and turning our back on the eyes of the Lord. Closing our Bibles and opening our cultural manuals of how to engage. This morning, the Word of God is calling us to a, as a church to renew our vows to our mission, the proclamation of the gospel. 
the good news of a crucified and resurrected Savior who will return to judge the world according to his righteousness. Acts chapter 17, verse 31. You read it for yourself. I want to look back at Acts 14 now. Look at it with me, and let's see again what Paul's committed to. He wants to preach the gospel. He doesn't care where, he doesn't care with who, he doesn't care about the circumstances. He wants to preach the gospel in order to see three things. Number one, new converts, verse 21, mature Christians, verse 22, and established churches in verse 23. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. That's the call of every local church. Do we care about human suffering? Yes. Should we be a loving people? Absolutely. Can we find ways personally as Christians to care for those in our circle of relationship? 100% we should. But as a church, we have been entrusted with the gospel and because we care not only about human suffering but also eternal suffering, we preach Christ and him crucified so that others might know the same grace of God and the forgiveness of God that now know, we know now ourselves as well. Paul, before another church, says the following, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are ambassadors. Friends, to be an ambassador for Christ in this world will make you a fool for Christ. And I have titled today's message, Where Did All the Fools Go? Where Did All the Fools Go? Acts chapter 5, verse 40 and 41. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, to let them go. And let them go, rather. They then left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. It's a privilege to them. They won. Acts chapter 17, verse 18, some said, what does this babbler wish to say, mocking Paul? You can't even talk. What are you, uneducated? Clearly not from one of our Ivy League places. Clearly not one of these educated people. Clearly not able to articulate intelligently because if you did, you wouldn't believe that. You, you don't still believe that kind of religious Christianity. I thought, well, then we kind of grew up now. Hasn't science helped us? Hasn't sort of education helped us? Are we an enlightened bunch now? Why are you holding on to these vestiges of old days and old ways? Grow up, you babbler. Acts 17, verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake. Where are all the fools in Miami? Well, I'm happy to say a number of them are sitting right here. I have a room full of fools. I mean, that's really what you are in the eyes of this world. You, you realize, right, like you live in a city that people want to come vacation here. They want to enjoy the amenities of your city. They, they, they want our place to be their pleasure. And those who live here want to present themselves as if they've won the lottery, where they can be beautiful by natural or by surgical. They can be beautiful. Their possessions can define them. Their social media followers can affirm them. Yet here you are. On a Sunday morning, having clothed yourself in your right mind, sitting here responsibly, to do what? To sing songs, to read the word, to pray prayers, to confess sins, to thank God, to listen to his word, and commit yourself anew to follow his ways. You are a fool for Christ, and most of the city does not get you. They don't understand what we're doing here. I mean, they might have some type of religious type of penance. Like, I don't know, it's kind of good for you. Maybe like a hard Saturday night. Maybe a little bit hungover. Wouldn't be bad to kind of get into church and kind of just like erase that record. God will kind of like, all right, I'll trade you. Saturday night for Sunday morning. But by and large, most people think you are a fool. To profess faith in a crucified, resurrected, reigning Savior who promises to return for his people and judge the world according to his righteousness? Are you out of your mind? Actually, no. For the first time in your life, you're in your mind. For God's given you a new mind because of your new heart. We are fools for Christ. Paul was a fool for Christ. But why? Why do this? Because you love Christ and you seek to obey Christ and show in the grace and knowledge of Christ in order that others might know Christ and you are not tone deaf. You see suffering. This isn't a sweet by and by. Some of you sung this morning with joy and some of you sung this morning with tears. Because the contrast of what we seemingly sung about seems so pronounced with what you have or are experiencing personally and painfully. You've tasted the bitterness of sin. You are victims of sexual abuse. You have seen your families ripped apart. You know what divorce does to marriages and children. You embarrassingly know what it is to be ensnared in your anger, your self-righteousness, your greed, your pride, your gossip, and more. You know the shame of abortion. You have been incarcerated for your crimes against humanity. You know what it's like in your past to have mocked Christians for their faith and claim there is no God so that you didn't have to have any accountability for your life. But then like Lazarus, Jesus called you by name. Arise. 
God in his mercy made you alive when you were otherwise dead in your trespasses and sins. He opened your eyes to see the truth of God's offer of forgiveness through faith alone and Christ alone because of his grace alone. And now you are a fool for Christ. That's who you are. To claim yourself as a Christian is to claim yourself as a disciple, as a fool, as an ambassador, as a child of God. Adopted, loved, forever secure, done. Paid in full. Everything in your life exists under the lordship of Christ so that Christ will be honored in your life and eventually in your death. Over the Christmas break, I 